For there to be a fear of authority, there has to be a genuine power and consistency on the part of that authority in applying whatever leadership is to be applied. And uh, a country cannot control its citizenry if there is not respect for the authority of that government. I was in Cambodia soon after the Pol Pot regime had been uh, overturned, and several years later I had the privilege of being there as the government had been formed there in Cambodia. And the one thing that was very evident at that time was that people were not very uh, concerned about being caught for crime. <laughs> there was very little respect for authority at that time, and as a result, uh, you had, uh, you know, just a, a very ungovernable situation, and uh, you had to be very careful uh, when you were there. And so it's very important for us to understand that there's no problem with God's authority or His power, but that's, the problem is with us understanding who He is. I'm going to read an extended portion from A.W. Tozer's book, Knowledge of the Holy. And uh, he states things pretty poignantly, and I'm going to read this if you can focus on this uh, here. In olden days, men of faith were said to walk in the fear of God and to serve the Lord with fear. However their, uh, intimate their communion with God, however, however bold their prayers, at the base of their religious life was the conception of God as awesome and dreadful. The idea of God transcendent runs through the whole Bible and gives color and tone to the character of saints. This fear of God was more than a natural apprehension of danger. It was an unrational dread, an acute feeling of personal insufficiency in the presence of God the Almighty. Wherever God appeared to men in Bible times, the results were the same. An overwhelming sense of terror and dismay, a wrenching sensation of sinfulness and guilt. When God spoke, Abraham stretched himself upon the ground to listen. When Moses saw the Lord in the burning bush, he hid his face in fear to look upon God. Isaiah's vision of God wrung from him the cry, Woe is me! Daniel's encounter with God was probably the most dreadful and wonderful of them all. Conversely, the self-assurance of modern Christians, the basic levity present in so many of our religious gatherings, the shocking disrespect shown for the person of God, are evidence enough of deep blindness of heart. Many call themselves by name of, the name of Christ, talk much about God, and pray to Him sometimes, but evidently do not know who He is. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. But this healing fear is today hardly found among Christian men. Very strong statement. A.W. Tozer was known for getting right to the quick when it came to the needs. And certainly there's nothing more blessed. We've had all year long our emphasis on being loved and uh, just how glorious his love is. But we do need to take the balance of Scripture, for you cannot appreciate the love of God, the mercy of God, the long-suffering of God, the fact that He gives us grace. You cannot fully or even really begin to get a hold of the depth of what that means to us 
if you do not get a hold of the fear of God and have that in, our, in your heart. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. Uh, Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Psalm 129, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Proverbs 14.27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Over and over you will find the fear of God. And the word fear there means fear, terror. An awesome an understanding of who God is, a deep reverence and piety. Now, we're not talking, though, about a, uh, a fear that is not, uh, uh, fear that comes from the human sort. I like uh, David McCullough's biography of Teddy Roosevelt, Mornings on Horseback. It includes a, a story about young Teddy as a child in New York City. Mitty, his mother, had found he was so afraid of the Madison Square Church that he refused to set foot inside alone. He was terrified. She discovered a something called the zeal. It was crouched in the dark corners of the church, ready to jump at him, he, he said. When she asked what a zeal might be, he said he was not sure, but he thought it was probably a large animal like an alligator or a dragon. He had heard the minister read about it from the Bible. Using a concordance, she read him those passages contained the word zeal until suddenly, very excited, he told her to stop. The line was from the Gospel of John, and his disciples remember that it was written, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. So we do want to get an accurate view of, of uh, the fear of God. We're not talking about man's wrong kind of phobia and fear. We're talking about a very clear understanding of the greatness of our God. And when you understand that, you know He's a loving God. You know what He has done for you. But we need to not dismiss the fact of the power and majesty of our God. Exodus chapter 19, if you'll turn there with me, we'll look for a few minutes tonight as we're preparing our next time together. We will start into Exodus 20, which is the Ten Commandments. And uh, so I want to uh, set the table, so to speak, the right context for this. We uh, spoke, I think it was about five, four or five weeks ago was the last time I was in Exodus with all the things that have transpired uh, in, in between. And we saw in the first part of Exodus uh, chapter 19 the fact that God makes a covenant with Israel. And it gives the timing on this and so forth. I won't go back into that context. Uh, but look at verse 3 with me. And Moses went up in, unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thou shalt say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings. Isn't that wonderful? And brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. 
And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So God summons, uh, this is uh, just like any major old uh, ancient covenant, he summons the, uh, the people. He gives the historical prologue about how he bore them up on eagles' wings. He gives the stipulations that they should obey his voice and keep his covenant. And the blessing would be that they would be his peculiar treasure. They would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They would be his. That's a, a wonderful thing. And they accepted the covenant, verse 7, and Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Now I want to go into the preparation here, uh, which is so important as we speak of the fear of God, the preparation to hear from God. And there's some practical lessons to be learned. They're going to get much here from God directly to Moses that would be very key in the developing of the, their theocracy and developing of a relationship with him. Verse 9, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the, of the people unto the Lord. So the covenant is made. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. And be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people of, upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not in hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount." Well, God was going to speak to them and to speak primarily to Moses, but he was going to allow the people to come to, at a certain distance and, uh, and experience the reality of God uh, coming uh, there upon Mount Sinai to uh, seal the covenant and to give his word. But for them to be able to do that, first of all, they had to cleanse themselves. They needed to be living in purity. And so it's very interesting. They were to set themselves apart by uh, appropriately washing and uh, having their clothes appropriate. Uh, there was to be nothing impure about how they were living or what they were doing. Uh, it all was uh, uh, very important. Uh, that they uh, were very aware of the holiness of God. Uh, and so even this matter of washing clothes, even this matter of just being very careful in every aspect of how they were living prior to coming uh, into the, uh, the just right along the border of where God was going to manifest himself shows you what God thinks about setting ourselves apart uh, when it comes to worship Him. Uh, much could be said here, but we need to realize that our God is a holy God. And, you know, even clothing, isn't that interesting? 
appropriateness. Uh, there was to be nothing that was sensual, nothing, says that a little bit later. There was nothing to, uh, uh, to show any disrespect to the Lord whatsoever. And frankly, that's one of the things that very much concerns me about coming to the Lord in the New Testament, of course, He's in our hearts, but the church of the living God is still the place in which God's people meet, and Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, here I am in the midst. And frankly, folks, I think our attitude, our demeanor, how we look, and the preparation of our heart is very important when it comes to the matter of publicly worshiping the Lord, and certainly that's very important in the matter of privately worshiping the Lord. And uh, I think I don't, I don't need to, to have to say a, low, a lot here, but there's a lot of disrespect today. Uh, and so we need to be very careful. Uh, let me just say, in your homes, we should be in the presence of God all the time. Dads, you need to make appropriate decisions that we are living appropriately, <laughs> that we are very much in tune with what the Word of God says. We need to be careful not to joke about the things of God, nor take them lightly. Uh, we're going to be looking in a couple of weeks at, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Very important. And how, uh, how we've lost that today, the loose talking about God. And, and so, not, we're not talking here about putting on a false piety. We're not talking about uh, an uh, aura of holiness. We're talking about hearts that are dedicated to God, and we are very aware of who He is. Let me just say this. Let me say it carefully. When a person is really meeting with God, their lives change. You know, I don't have to spend... Do you realize how little I talk about specifics of lifestyle? I, I should say more. But, you know, when folks really are seeking the Lord, there is already a... There's just an understanding of how careful we need to be. He is a holy God. And so even in these matters, he said... Uh, you've got to be prepared. James 4, 8, I think, has this in mind. We're very familiar with these verses. Draw an eye to God, and He will draw an eye to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. But draw an eye to God, and He will draw an eye to you. The whole point is He wants us to come to Him. This He wanted them to get a glimpse uh, and, and a sense of who he is. This wasn't to keep them away. This was to get them to him. This was to be his people, his covenant people. He was going to have a, a very unique relationship with him. And he wanted them to know him. And they, he wanted them to understand what Moses was getting. He wanted to underscore the truth that Moses was going to be telling him so that they could live. This was all about his desire for fellowship with him. But clearly required in this was sanctification, setting themselves apart from any of the filthiness of this world. And uh, so it's very important. And, and the fact that they needed to understand the living in humility, uh, he had said, uh, very careful, uh, very clearly here. You're to set up bounds. Uh, 
They are not to touch the border of the, of the, um, the mountain. They were to put up a fence. If you touch the mount, uh, you would die. And uh, he wanted them to realize that they, on their own merit, <clears throat> did not have the right to go up into that mount. And so it's very important for us to realize that we need to live in humility, understanding that our ability to have fellowship with God is totally based upon the finished work of Christ. And um, I think this is very uh, significant here. Uh, they were to be very uh, aware of this. And also, uh, what were the Israelites going to be doing when they got into the land, unfortunately? They were going to be worshiping. In fact, they were going to do it in just a matter of, of uh, days here. They're going to make God their gold, a golden calf and dance around it and call it Jehovah. And when they got into the land, they were going to have their own high places. And what he's saying, don't worship me on your terms. Do not be tempted to think you can come to me in your own uh, strength and in your own way. You have got to come to me according to the Word of God. I'll tell you, the lot that's in the name of Christianity is self-will uh, worship. It is not genuine Bible Christianity. And uh, we need to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift us up. And uh, so there's so much here that could be said, but I just wanted to give you a sense of this part of it. They weren't to get, they were not to, uh, to touch them out. They were to stop at that fence that was there. Uh, and, and they were only to come up when they heard the trumpet sound. That was going to be the key. And so Moses goes down in verse 14 from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, be ready against the third day, come not at your wives. In other words, there needs to be full purity in every area of their life before they come into this wonderful manifestation of the power and glory of God. God wanted them to come, but they couldn't come on their own terms. They couldn't come the world's way. They couldn't worship the way the world worships. And he wanted to teach them a lesson to come humbly and do it the biblical prescribed way. And, and how is Israel's just going to get into trouble over and over worshiping Jehovah their own way? The two golden calves at, at uh, Dan and at Bethel under Jeroboam. And on and on it could go. And the people of Israel suffered because they didn't learn the lesson do it God's way. And then, secondly, here, the manifestation of God. Look at me at verse 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Now we're going to, in a few moments, look at the Hebrews portion that speaks of this. This was a terrifying manifestation of the power of God. On that third day, there was thunder like they had never heard. Lightning was flashing a display of electricity that they had never seen was going on. There was a thick cloud. They had seen that cloud of glory over the tabernacle or over the tent of meeting, but they had never seen it like they had seen it. The whole 
it was like the whole mountain was on fire. But the most awe-inspiring aspect of this was the, a trumpet that began to become louder and louder, and it was exceeding loud that caused everyone to tremble. This was a trumpet that was divine. This was the, the voice of God calling these people to himself. And uh, it was stirring at this point. And so that was the signal, you can come up to the border. You can come up to the foot of Sinai. You can now come right up and get a full experience of the majesty of God. <laughs> now, can you imagine? That's a wonderful privilege, but I'm sure it was... You want us to go there? <laughs> you know, uh, it was probably quite, uh, uh, quite terrifying to some extent. Think about it. When you first got a hold of who God was and you, you looked to him, uh, first thing, if you really get a hold of it, you realize, wow, God hates sin. But then you begin to learn who God is and how, yes, he's holy, but how merciful and loving he is. So verse 17, and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. They came, and so they were there. Can you imagine standing there with thunder, the mountain shaking, the lightning is flashing, the trumpet is blaring, the glory of God is all over that mountain. Wasn't that gracious on God's part to do that? He wanted them to know who he was. And that it was going to be very important for them to have a fear of God. They were not going to understand the graciousness even of the Ten Commandments and the other protections that God was giving them if they did not understand who He was. Revelation 1.10, we, we have the, the reaction of John uh, when he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Who was behind him? Jesus Christ, the glorified Son of God. I'm telling you, that shout at the rapture, it could happen right now. I'm telling you, thankfully your body's going to be changed in a moment or you couldn't handle it. There will be a shout from the Savior that will go all the way through you. But that shout that would, that would be terrifying to lost people will be thrilling to you because it will bring you where? Into his presence. You see, the trumpet brought him into this presence. The trumpet and the voice of the Savior brings us into his presence at the rapture of the church. And so uh, the, the voice of God is a, is a wonderful thing. God is a holy and majestic God. Psalm 77, 18, the voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lightened the, the world. The earth trembled and shook. And God wanted them to realize this idol worship, nothing to it. I overcame the gods of Egypt. I, the plagues destroyed every god there was. I opened the Red Sea. I destroyed Pharaoh's army. And now you've seen me provide manna, you have seen me provide water, and now I'm showing you my glory in a much greater way, and you're hearing the very trumpet, the voice of God. Do not fall for the false gods of the counterfeit satanic worship. 
You say, well, why did they do that later? It's because the gods of satanic worship let you sin and get away with it. It involves all the things that the flesh wants to do. And uh, the God of heaven, who is a holy God, makes us realize we don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve to worship God. Without his mercy, we are done. And uh, he is a holy God and that we need to serve him with all of our heart. That's the difference. And that's exactly why we're made. And so that's the graciousness of God to help us understand that. So man cannot approach God in his sinful state. We need to understand without the cleansing of the sacrificial substitute, they would, of course, have the uh, sacrificial system all pointing to Jesus Christ. Now, folks, I want you to get this tonight. You can go boldly right now to the throne of grace. You have a high priest that is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. This God that is so powerful that in just a moment, this universe that is so vast we cannot even measure it, in just a moment it will be burned up. An atomic explosion of universal proportions will occur. That's the power of our God. And yet you have the right right now to go into his presence. The sacrifice of Jesus, folks, is an amazing thing. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sin. I have the right to have a loving relationship with my Savior, who is the holy creator. Friends, to appreciate what we have in Christ means to appreciate the awesomeness of his majesty and his holiness. The minute you diminish holiness, you have diminished your salvation. Do not be afraid to understand that sin is exceedingly sinful, but God's grace is exceeding abundant. And it came at a great price. So God's people need a healthy fear of God. As I read earlier, Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Thirdly, and Lastly here, the determination of God. It's so interesting. Uh, let's go uh, on and read here um, in verse 19. Well, verse 18. And Mount Sinai was uh, altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke there ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai in the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount. And Moses went up, and the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. Now, isn't that interesting? There was a fence. Moses had already given the word of God. Moses takes that long climb up to the top of Mount Sinai only to be turned around to go back down. Now why would that happen? Moses uh, says uh, to him, uh, he, he tells him to go down. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds unto the mount, and sanctify it. And the Lord said, Away, get thee down. <laughs> Moses said, I already told them. 
I already put up the barrier. God's saying, I don't trust them. God knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He didn't, he, he didn't trust that they would heed the warning. You know, we're pretty fickle in how we look at things. I love that story of the little Scottish boy who wouldn't eat his prunes. So his mother sent him off to bed saying, God is angry at you. That's not a good thing to say, by the way. Soon after the boy went to his room, a violent storm broke out. Amidst flashes of lightning and peals of thunder, the mother looked into the boy's room, worried that he would be terrified. When she opened the door, she found him looking out the window, muttering, My, such a fuss over a few prunes. <laughs> um, but that illustrates, honestly, man's arrogance. We, we get curious. But the point I want to make here is, I, you know, it's, it's hard for me to imagine that there could be a problem, but God wouldn't send Moses back down if he did not know there was going to be a problem. And here's what I want you to see. He loved them so much, he sent his servant down to reinforce what he said. Now, folks, let me say, first of all, to, parent, uh, to children here, thank God for your parents as they over and over tell you, thus saith the Lord. That's the love of God through parents protecting you from hurting yourself, from not understanding the greatness of your God, from becoming uh, trite or light about the things of God. And so that repeated warning is love. And all of us, as we've had people, as we've had preachers and leaders and, and counselors and folks that have exhorted us in our lives, do you realize it's just constantly God saying, don't go beyond. What am I doing tonight? I'm giving you the word of God. What's God saying? You need to understand this is still important to have a fear of myself. God loves us. I just think, to me, God loves his children. He had just made a covenant, and he says, Moses, go back on down. And uh, verse 24, let's continue to read that. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. I don't want to hurt one of them. I want them to stay at that place where they can see what's happening and know that I'm speaking, but I don't want anything uh, tragic to happen Make sure they understand I mean business. And folks, that's what preaching is all about, teaching. That's what devotions are about when you're, when you're learning the Word of God. As I said, children, that's what parents are all about. That's what people that care about others as you exhort and counsel. It is constantly, God means what He says. We're going to go over the Ten Commandments. Did you know that they still are true? Despite what our secular government says? Did you know that morality is still Thus saith the Lord, that God still means that the family is the unit and that marriage is a man and a woman. All of these things are still true, and God means what He says. And as we hear other voices and our own flesh goes different ways, we need to realize this is the love of God. I want you to get as close as you can to me, but I want you to remember. I want you to remember. I want you to remember what truth is. And it's important for us folks to realize that God is a holy God. You know, I don't know why Christians, and I'll finish with this, I don't know why in this day we somehow think we need to loosen the matter of, 
of holy living because culture has changed. Folks, if ever there was a need for God's people to show forth a fear of God, it is today. Now, you know, we need to be reasonable, but, on, but reasonable is never disobedient. Holiness, set apart to God. God means what he says. And uh, people that love the Lord do not want the filth of this world in their lives. Through any aspect of our life, we need to be holy. We need to believe God's word. And I'm going to conclude with just this. Listen closely to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. If so much as a beast touched the mountain, it would shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. You know, we see Moses going up. Uh, he, he went at the word of God, but he was terrified. But ye are coming to Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, <laughs> and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now you could stop there and say, we're not in the Old Testament. That's right. We're in the New Testament. But let me go on. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. We know more. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, and those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, with all that God's done, I won't go into those details, but all that God has given us in the sure truth that we know, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly, say it with me, fear. For our God is a consuming fire. New Testament believers, we need to rejoice. The Holy Spirit is within us. Shekinah glory is in us. We are saved by the grace of God. Uh, we are not, we don't view the law improperly. We see it as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. We are so thankful for the relationship that, that we have. And what is said here, if they should have consuming fear, much more us in this age knowing what we know and having the completed word of God. And though we should have love and a thrilling, full, accepted relationship with God, he is a consuming fire. Do not make light of your God. Do not treat him any less than what the Bible says. If Christians would get back to understanding he is the holy God of creation, he is the judge of all the earth, we wouldn't live like we live. We need to get back when Christians to where Christians tremble at the thought of sin, who are broken about 
uh, going against their God. Not out of a morbid fright, but out of a loving reverence. And if you had a good father, you know what that's like. I did not want to break my dad's heart. And I do not want to break the heart of a holy God. And so God said, come, I want you to be near me. But you got to come and understand, I'm a holy God. Spurgeon said, there is a holy fear which must not be banished from the church of God. Let's bow for prayer.